Okay, guys, two quick things. You can grab your Bibles now, and uh, we're going to resume our study of the book of uh, Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 29, and I'll get there in just a quick second, but two, two other things that I've got to mention. Uh, one has to do with an opportunity for your family, and if you're looking for a family vacation this summer, uh, I, I've got a great suggestion, which is oh so inexpensive and so meaningful. For 100 bucks, you can take your whole family to French Camp Academy, which includes uh, room, a, a place to sleep, and food. Now, there's work going to be done all week, but it's a great little spot on the Natchez Trace in Mississippi, a, real, a ministry that we have supported around here for, gosh, 25 years. Um, it's a wonderful little spot, nice, beautiful, bucolic setting. setting. So um, if you're looking for something to do, I, here's, here's my guess. I bet you that your children will enjoy the week at French camp more then another week on to Dustin's Beaches. Dare you. And it only costs 100 bucks. How about that? So give that. That's the 19th through the 23rd of June. Now, the other thing. Gang, some of you have seen the Vimeo, perhaps. Um, there's a Vimeo of me saying what I'm about to say here live. It has to do with uh, the, the issue of marriage. Gang, I say on that Vimeo that for years I have sought to, to help our families over the subject of marriage. And I would preach these little series around Mother's Day, you know, almost every year, with very little result. Um, in the providence of God, we found something last fall. It's called Reengage. It originated out of a church in Dallas, and we've brought it here. And we have, there's been 16 couples for the last six months who have prepared themselves to be facilitators in this program called Reengage. By the way, we're going to rename it. Uh, marriage matters because we want to we want to broaden its uh, its its scope. But guys, the sixteen couples that went through that to the man would tell you best thing they've ever done in their marriage. I, I, if I had time, I'd bring some of them up here. But gang, um, we have spots for seventy two couples, seventy two couples, and half of them are already filled. This is the first public announcement. I made one Wednesday night, but in terms of the church gathered, this is the first public announcement we've made. This program is for marriages that are healthy and hurting and everything in between. Hear me? Healthy, hurting, everything in between. When I first heard it, um, th- their logo in this, uh, this uh, uh, church in Dallas is, for the bruised, the battered, and the bored. You know, guys, have you ever heard of the term sexual anorexia? Whoa. I'll let you figure that out what that means. But you know where it's most prevalent? In couples in their 20s. I would call that bored. <laughs> Gang, we've got something for you. We've got something rich for you. All marriages, healthy, hurting, everything in between. And it, it, it'll, it starts in August. It's on Sunday nights at 5 o'clock to 6.30. And here's the kicker. We're going to offer you free child care. So it's not, a, it's not a children's issue. It's a, it's a will issue. Come on, guys. But if you want in, you're going to need to go online today. Um, will Savell, who is leading this program, already doing a marvelous job. Will's bet is, and I agree with him, that it will be filled before the end of the day. We have half of them already filled, 
and there's, there's some for you, but you're going to have to go online, gracievan.org slash marriage matters. And um, I would encourage you, entreat you, it's an hour and a half for 12 straight weeks, um, and we'll take care of your kids. What a deal. So, uh, for the healthy, the hurting, anything in between, the battered, the bruised, or the bored, jump in. Got to go online and do it. It's the only place you can register. It's online. So, uh, I leave that with you, and, and uh, I, I'm, I'm betting Will's right. By the end of the day, this thing will be filled. Now, you follow as I read our text this morning. Um, it comes from a book that is inerrant, it's infallible, inspired. This is the very mind of God as black words on a white page. So you follow as I read, beginning at verse 29, I'll read through verse 31. It reads like this. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. God, so we're studying um, my, my, um, a portion of my wife's 50-year graduating classes with us. We're so glad to have you. But um, for you and perhaps others, we're studying the book of Hebrews. We've come to chapter 11, which is a uh, famous chapter. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And there's name after name after name of uh, folks who exemplified and possessed saving faith, enduring faith, persevering faith. So we've come to verse 29, and after the author of uh, Hebrews mentions a couple of very historic moments, events, big events in the history of Israel, the the crossing of the Red Sea, dry shot, and then the Egyptian army that followed them in and were drowned. That's a biggie. Um, and the other was the felling of the walls of Jericho. After he mentions those two events, he then turns back to mention people. He's back to names. And the name that he mentions in this little paragraph is the name of a woman. A woman who is often known by her profession. Her name is Rahab, the prostitute. You know, in the scriptures, she's mentioned several times, and um, just about every time she is mentioned, uh, uh, not every time, but almost every time she's mentioned, she's always mentioned as Rahab, the prostitute. Um, it, it was quite funny when I was preparing this sermon and reading some of the commentaries and how, how, um, how strenuously some of the authors tried to avoid the embarrassment of this profession. And they suggested that uh, the Hebrew word could be translated uh, innkeeper or hostess, <laughs> which is also unnecessary when you know this God, this God of sovereign free grace. This God who is rich in loving kindness and ready to forgive and known for his long-suffering. The word, ladies and gentlemen, is prostitute. Now, 
But that's, that's only the beginning of the uniqueness of this story. This is one whale of a story, guys. And, and the, the, real, the real biggie about the story is not that she's a woman. We've already seen one woman mentioned, and we discussed her weeks ago, Sarah in verse 11. The, 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 the big issue is not that she's a prostitute even, you know, the ones who are often used but never loved. That's not the big issue. The big issue in this story is that she's a Gentile. It is as if this story is designed to proclaim that it has nothing to do with your national heritage, it has nothing to do with your family tree, and it has nothing to do with previous sin that makes you acceptable or unacceptable before God. How is it that Rahab stepped into this household? You're told in verse 31, by faith. Everything that Rahab does, she does by faith. She does on the basis of faith. Now, guys, her story, Rahab's story, is found in Joshua chapter 2. If you don't remember, you might remember, um, maybe if you weren't raised in churches like some of us were, uh, there's a little ditty, a little song that goes along with the story. You know, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, down, down. Remember that? Uh, we were taught it as children, and I bet you your children were taught it too, but that's the story. Uh, but that story really takes place in Joshua 6. This story about Rahab takes place in Joshua 2. It's kind of the prequel to the main story that unfolds in Joshua 6. Now, here's something interesting to note. Rahab was converted long before the two spies ever knocked on her door. Well, how did that happen? How did Rahab come to faith long before the spies showed up? She didn't have Christian parents to teach her. She didn't come from a Christian nation she doesn't have any book to read like we do. And to my knowledge, there had been no prophet that had been sent to her city, Jericho, like, like God had sent Jonah to, to Nineveh. None of that was true. Then, then, then how is it that Rahab came to faith? Well, guys, we don't know exactly from whence she heard this message, but we know she heard we know that because the text says so. In verse uh, 10 of Joshua chapter 2, she says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. She had heard. Maybe she had heard it from her customers. You know those traveling salesmen that are in town just for the night. Maybe she had heard it by listening to the, the gossip outside the city gates. I don't know where it came from, but I know she heard, just like the rest of the city had heard. But she was the only one who had believed. They all heard the same thing, but Rahab was the only one who believed. Um, but the city had heard, but they chose to remain in their disobedience, says the text. 
And so they looked out the top of the city walls and they saw that Israeli army out there and they were on the other side of the Jordan and they kind of nudged each other and they said, <laughs> that army will never make it in here. I mean, they got no bridge to cross that river. I mean, we're safe as we can be. They're never going to get across from over there to over here because that river's in their way. <laughs> and then the river parted and they walked through dry shot. Will they believe now? Oh, no. No, no, no. No need to panic because look at our walls. I mean, some of these walls are so thick, they will never get in here. I mean, we have got the most fortified city in the area. We are safe right here in Jericho. And look at those fools. <laughs> this is the silliest thing I've ever seen. They're, they're just walking around the place. What a military strategy that is. They're going to storm our fortified city with ram's horns. <laughs> they had six days to believe. Six days. But they chose to remain in their disobedience. But there was one. One person inside those city walls. And she alone believed. And listen to her testimony, ladies and gentlemen. This is verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God. Gang, in that verse 11, she uses a term, Yahweh. The covenantal name of God. Because Yahweh is God. I've looked around this city. I've seen the terror in their eyes. And it's your God that is God. And your God is about to destroy our city. And I too will be destroyed if I remain in my unbelief. But I have heard. I have heard that this God is willing to forgive sin. Even sin as bad as mine. You know, if you had been in the Israeli army or the, the camp of the Israelites and, and before you got inside the, the city walls of Jericho and somebody told you, they said, you know, there's one believer, there's one believer in there in Jericho. <laughs> yeah, there's one believer inside there. You would have never guessed it was Rahab. The prostitute? Oh, come now. Maybe some of those religious guys, but not the prostitute. I mean, she'd have been the last name on your list. And yet faith had come to her house. You know that house of ill repute? The brothel. How did that happen? Ladies and gentlemen, it happened the same way it happened for any of us. Do you remember the story um, of Lydia in, in Acts chapter 16, the seller of purple, and Paul is preaching the gospel down by the river in Philippi, I think. And um, all of these people are listening, but Lydia, and the text says, and God opened her eyes. God opened Rahab's eyes, the prostitute. 
And if you were seated here today as someone who trusts and tr- trusts in Jesus Christ and Him alone, it's because God has opened your eyes. And you know what, guys? This story about Rahab, really, it, it ought to thrill us. Why so? Why, why should it thrill us? Well, here's why. Because this God of sovereign grace does not hold our past sins against us. This God saves even prostitutes. And though, and though the name of her old profession kind of stuck to her, God delights to be known as the lover of the low. The lover of the vile, the lover of the sinner. You know, guys, um, I don't know everybody in this room, and I I can only see to about the eighth row, and beyond that, you're just a blur. Um, So I don't know everybody here, but I'm guessing that there's not a whole lot of ex-prostitutes in this room. But I also guess there are probably numerous adulterers and adulteresses in this room. A couple of former addicts, perhaps. A few thieves, maybe even a murderer or two. Could I say this again? God saves prostitutes. That ought to be thrilling for people like us. You know, tell me, what was, what was Rahab's claim on this God? Her virtue? The fact that she was a fine, upstanding, moral citizen? That's utterly absurd. She was a prostitute. And the scriptures never want you to forget that. And how is it that she came into a relationship with this God? Based on her virtue? How silly. It was by faith. By faith alone. And by faith alone, she she stood against the whole drift of her culture. And you know, guys, um, we are often called to do something similar uh, to, to stand against the, the onslaught of our culture. You need to keep this in mind. It's only dead fish that flow downstream. The live ones swim upstream. Folks, um, when this whole city fell, the whole city wall fell, which is recorded in Joshua 6, we're also told in Joshua 2 that Rahab's house was on the city wall. And so when the wall fell, there's one little isolated section over here on the, you know, the west side, I think it was, and, and it's still standing. A little island out there, you know, standing when the rest of the wall has fallen. Why, is, why was that one still standing?
because faith had come to a brothel. Faith had come to a prostitute. Um, there is one other thing I want you to see about what her faith produced. You know um, that she doesn't remain a prostitute after she's converted. You know that. In fact, she goes on to marry uh, a man by the name of Salmon, who was a Jew. And I can't prove this, but I, I'm just, I just know this is the truth. I can't prove it. That Salmon was one of those two spies that knocked on her door. She marries Salmon, and she goes on to become the great-grandmother of David, the little shepherd boy that slew the Goliath, you know, and becomes the king of Israel. She's his great-grandmother, the, 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 the former prostitute. And lo and behold, we come to the New Testament, and there she is again. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And what's she there for? Oh, she's in a genealogy. A genealogy of who might that be? That would be Christ. She's an ancestor of Christ's. A former prostitute. And the, the operative word is on former. And guys, that's my point. No one, who, no one who possesses saving faith stays in the life that they used to live. They don't remain in sin. I didn't say they don't ever sin again. I simply said they don't remain in sin. Um, now, um, two quick lessons and I'm done. Well, actually, one of them is not too quick. Um, gang. The story of Rahab is much discussed in, in critical circles. Uh, when people read Joshua 2, um, they immediately spot a, an ethical problem. You know Rahab lied. You know that? Um, uh, the king of Jericho sent some representatives over to find out about the two spies, and she lies to them. And so this, this ethical discussion erupts over whether or not it is right to lie because... Is it acceptable that Rahab lied? Well, I can tell you this. It's the, the lie is nowhere condemned nor condoned in the Scriptures. But, 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 but think about this, guys. This was a woman that was raised as a pagan. She was never exposed to um, the ethical teaching of the Scriptures, like the Ten Commandments. She had no Ten Commandments at her disposal. And whereas you and I, we hate to be lied to. In some cultures... Lying is a piece of genius. I mean, you're sticking it to the man. Let me tell you a story real quick, hopefully. Um, I've got a friend. I, I guess he's more of an acquaintance. Um, uh, he was the dean of students at the seminary where I matriculated. And his name is Richard Watson. And Richard Watson, about 15 years ago, went to Ukraine and started a seminary. A seminary in Ukraine. The guy's got to be late 80s by now. He's probably 87, 88 now. And uh, three times a year, he flies over to Ukraine, and he takes seminary professors with him each time, and they, they, they hold seminary classes for these seminary students in Ukraine. When he gets back, he always writes a little letter of the summary of the two weeks that they spent over there and everything that happened. They're fascinating reading. And how I got on that mailing list, I don't even know, but I'm on it. 
And, and I bring them home to Susie. Susie loves to read them, and I love to read them. Anyway, in those letters, almost every letter he writes, almost every one of them, he tells the story about the big issue that they face over in Ukraine. And here it is. He says the students are bright, they're, they're attentive, they're, they're, they, they study. But the students do not know that cheating on an exam and copying somebody else's work and calling it your own is wrong. And so they've had to go back and forget the theology for a minute. We've got to teach you some biblical ethics. But there's a 21st century culture, ladies and gentlemen, that thinks that lying's okay. You know, um, I've often thought, I've often tried to put myself in the shoes of Corey Ten Boom. Do you know who that is? Corey Ten Boom uh, wrote a book, oh gosh, back in the 70s called The Hiding Place. She was a little Dutch girl, and her, she and her family uh, hid the Jews during World War II. And uh, the family was ultimately arrested by the Nazis and, and uh, taken to a uh, concentration camp. And I think, I know her sister died, and I think her mom and dad did too, but she lived. Corey Ten Boom lived. She writes this book called The Hiding Place. She was a little girl at the time. I've been to the house in Amsterdam. It's a tourist attraction. So here you are, you're living in Amsterdam, it's 1941, and a comes on your door, and you open up the door, and there's the Nazis, the Gestapo, and they say, uh, are you hiding Jews in there? How do you answer that? <laughs> I've, I've tried to figure out what I would say. I, I really haven't come to a conclusion just yet and you know what i've memorized the ten commandments i'm simply saying that you got to consider the extenuating circumstances of this story and um, rahab before you harsh her i judge her harshly i mean you you know what was on the line here don't you and do you know her motive do you then you might need to think about that before you um speak so dogmatically about I, by the way i'm not trying to apologize for her, law, her lie I'm far from it it's wrong it's always wrong to lie it's always right to tell the truth and it's never right to do evil so that good can come but you might want to think about those other things before you jump poor little rahab now one more thing rahab um, was quite a little evangelist she she goes out and and tells her family listen the, the armies of Yahweh are coming to Jericho, <laughs> and, and they're going to destroy this city. And I know that everybody around here doesn't think that. I mean, I know they're scoffing at those ramstorm guys down there, but, but I believe it. The, uh, the nation of Israel is going to wipe Jericho off the face of the map. So uh, we, I've got some terms of the deal, and all of y'all, uh, my family, you need to get into my house because that's going to be the only place that you're going to be safe. They're going to kill everybody else. Only the people in my house are going to be safe. So you got to come on over to my house. Uh, soon, you got to get there. Hurry, come on, because uh, they're, they're coming. Now, let's imagine for a moment that you're 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 a sister of um, of Rahab's, and you've kind of you know kind of drug your feet, your heels, you know, and you're you're just kind of slow getting moving, and and all of a sudden the uh, the uh, the walls come tumbling down, and you're still in the city streets, and uh, and a, an Israeli soldier comes up with a sword, and he's about to lop off your head. 
And you say, oh, wait a minute, I understand. This is a, this is a terrible con- uh, mis- uh, confusion here. I, I understand. But I, I am Rahab's sister. <laughs> yeah, I, she's my sister. You know, the one living in that house over there, the only one that's standing up, uh, still there. That's my sister over there. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm just a little bit late here, but I, I'm on my way. I'm, 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 I'm coming. But, um, um, I, I, but she's my sister. And the soldier says, well, ma'am, I understand what you're telling me. But you see, the only ones that are to be spared are the ones that are in that house. I have my orders. And my orders are that there's only one place of safety in all of Jericho, nowhere else. And you're not in that place. Now, you may have known that you should have been in that place, but you're not in that place, and you were warned to get in that place because Rahab told you to get in that place, but you're not in that place, and therefore, because there's only one safe place, madam, you must die. Ladies and gentlemen, For all eternity, there's only one safe place. To ready you for eternity, there's only one safe place. And that's in Christ. Oh yeah, well I I I get that, Doctor Young, and, and I you know I I, I understand uh, you know, but I, you know I just I, I've got a few things I need to do, you know, and I got to build this company, and I got to have some babies, babies, and I you know, and I I just got to go on with my life. You know, ladies and gentlemen, Rahab didn't end up like all the other prostitutes because she exercised saving faith. So everybody else in that city died, including all the prostitutes, because they failed to get to the one place of safety. And there's only one of those. One place of safety, ladies and gentlemen. It's hiding in the shelter of Christ and his finished work. Um, There is an oncoming judgment. And the only place to safely hide from it is in Christ. You know, we have a saying that hell is paved with good intentions. You've heard that. Well, you may have the best intentions in the world. But ladies and gentlemen, there's only one safe place to hide. In Christ. For heaven's sakes, get there. Get there now. Our Father, I I thank you for your word that um, again and again points us back to the provisions that you have made for safety for the soul, the the, the sinful soul, 
the only safe place that you have made available for my soul, as undeserving as I am, as wicked as I may be, you have seen fit to provide a place of, to hide from the upcoming, oncoming wrath of God. So, Father, if you have brought people here this morning who have not yet made it into that safe place, over there where the, the prostitutes live, would you cause them to see the urgency of their need right now? Show them the beauty of the provision that you have made all in the life and ministry and death of Jesus Christ. The one who lived the life that I was supposed to live, but I didn't live it, and then died the death that I was supposed to die, and he died it in my place. There, so many of us have found safety. Would you bring others to this same place? Do that for Jesus' sake.